0: Hey, what's going on, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Trevor Olson Show, episode number 14 on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2020. You're probably hearing this on a different day. Oh, well, we've got I'm your host, <laughs> Trevor Olson. Uh, how's everybody doing? Uh, Election Day should have happened already. Uh, So hopefully the world has not, uh, the United States rather, has not fallen into complete chaos uh, one day after. So anyway, I've got a great show ahead for you guys today. Uh, Zach Ward, a very good friend of mine from college, we've stayed in touch for the last five years. He's a weightlifter, he's a musician, he's a smart, talented cat, and I'm very excited for him to be on the show and I'm sure you guys are going to love it. All I will say is if you would like to reach out to the show... Please do at the Trevor Olson Show at gmail.com send me your questions, your comments, your concerns, your your news to the Trevor Olson show at gmail.com. And if you'd like to gain exclusive Trevor Olson content, head over to patreon.com slash Trevor where you can get perks like handwritten letters and t-shirts and Skype calls and all sorts of other shit. Uh, of course the, the Saturday Patreon episodes exclusive to Patreon members. Uh that's patreon.com slash Trevor Olson. Uh Zach Ward, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show and we'll see you next time. Hello, hello. Oh, I'm here you hear me? There he is. I can hear you. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Nice, cool. This is the uh first time using these earbuds, but it would appear as if the sound's not coming through it. So give me just one second. No worries.
0: But you can hear me guys.
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, just try to get some better input for you gotcha i hear you good all right can you still hear me yep all right sweet just zach? had to get the you know it was on the
0: zach motherfucking wart how are you
1: <laughs> i'm doing well buddy how about yourself
0: i am great it's great to see you man it's been forever
1: yeah you as well dude i like this background you got going
0: it's it's very velvet it's uh it, yes yes what is nice. what is velvet actually made of? like what is velvet
1: I think it's just a type of fabric.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I actually, this is made out of like six horses that I slaughtered. And, uh, oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah. So Blue it horses.
1: was Where'd you track those down?
0: Yeah. Well, it was dyed, uh, you know, through certain means that I have. And, uh, yeah, it's like $4,000. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Nice.
0: <laughs> no, I, I've i been How's using it, going, a, buddy? it. It's going great, man. Uh, no, I, I was using a makeshift backdrop. I was just taking my curtains off the wall for a while. And I was like, I got to make this a bit better, a bit more official, a bit more efficient. And uh, so I picked up these at Walmart, like two, yeah, it's just two curtains. Again, they're meant to be for just like curtains, but they're, they're really thick and they kind of look like a backdrop. So I was like, that, that'll do. That'll do. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, man. Um, Well, again, I appreciate you being here, taking the time to do this. Uh, I know you're a busy man.
1: Uh, I'm not too busy,
0: right? Yeah, that's what we, I was just having this conversation the other day. It's like, we all, we all love to come off as like really busy. And uh no.
1: Yeah. No, I love, uh I worked. Uh, so last year I was working at that law firm, right? And that was, that was a very standard 830 to five, um like 40, 40 to 45 hour a week gig. Um And I switched over to teaching guitar I guess probably February is when that happened and and when I did like the my hourly rate doubled, so I cut my hours in half yeah
0: mm-hmm. uh, it's awesome nice
1: i'm I'm substantially less busy, a lot more time to like think and be a human and and it's great,
0: that's great, man. so are you doing that full time are you teaching
1: yeah, 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 nice. teaching guitar full time nice amongst nice. amongst you know all of the other like classic uh musician income streams that which you know about but you know various gigs recording yada 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 but but yeah teaching guitar is the main the main thing
0: nice nice so you're no longer at that law firm
1: no no quit there back in february
0: yeah i remember we were talking about that a little bit and you're like ready to be done last time we talked
1: yeah dude yeah um lawyers are just always very upset about everything (laughs) Uh, yeah 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 and yeah very upset all the time and i don't know i was doing it to try to get an idea of if i wanted to go forward and go to law school and and i don't know the law still is interesting but just kind of watching the other lawyers and the lifestyle that they had to lead in order to do the job effectively it's
0: doesn't sound so great well it seems like a hyper stressful job yeah i mean, I mean yeah. apart from the fact that well obviously you have to be very intelligent to do it uh, I would assume but like the idea of defending somebody especially if you knew that they were guilty I don't know yeah. it almost it almost comes down to like a moral thing for me if like for I've never had any interest in law but if I knew that this person like murdered a family <laughs> I'd be yeah. like how the, no you, you know nope you think he did. No, he did not. When he's he's in the back telling you, like, hey, hey, I chopped him up into pieces. I know where the bodies are at. No one else does. You're like, holy shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I don't know if I could do that. But so you were thinking yeah, about going yeah. to law school.
1: Yeah, it was for sure. Not no longer. Um, yeah. kind of there were there were a bunch of things. I don't know. So I know, you know, most of this, but we're we're on the show, so I'll just give kind of like a brief
0: oh, thirty thousand
1: foot flyover. Please extrapolate. Um, yes. I finished up with music school back in twenty seventeen. Kind of uh, shot out of music school forcefully.
0: Um, yeah. Why don't you Why don't you uh, tell everybody uh, what happened there and and what school? Uh, well, you and I both went to.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, we met at a school called McNally Smith, which was over in downtown Saint Paul, Minnesota, um, and. It was a contemporary music school, very similar to the likes of, uh, like, Berkeley College of Music is the the big famous one over in Boston. But very similar to that. Uh, and Trevor and I went there for together for our freshman year. Um, then he dropped out. And uh, <laughs> I carried on.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I was like, ah, one year. I just want to see what the hype's about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just got to check it out. Uh, but, yeah, so I carried on and got to – through the first semester of my senior year. Uh, and then the school shut down with pretty much no warning. And everyone got an email on a Wednesday, the Wednesday of finals week, saying that this, this was the last semester and to not come back, which was a nice solid four days before everyone was leaving for Christmas. Uh, so tons of advance notice there. <laughs> um, but luckily, you know, I kind of got... I lucked out on the deal because I was working towards a minor and also my guitar teacher at the time happened to also be the, like, the dean of the whole school. So um, we were able to kind of take some of the credits that were applied to the minor and repurpose them for my major to still get the degree there.
0: Um yeah, I remember – well, obviously, I, I hadn't been going at that point, but I remember when that broke out in – well, for one, it was a, a major deal in the Twin Cities. I remember it got a lot of publicity because people were like, how the fuck can you shut down a college with – like you said, a Wednesday uh, – or was it a Wednesday? And then they were just like yeah. – or I thought it was a Friday, and they sh- they shut it down on Wednesday. I might be nah, wrong. No,
1: email came out on a Wednesday night um, of finals week, and we had that – then we had Thursday, Friday – the weekend, Monday, Tuesday, and Tuesday was the last day of the semester.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, okay. But yeah, I just remember when that happened. I was like, I was, well, cause I, I knew of you and all of my other, all of our other friends that, and you guys were in your senior year and you guys had, did you just have one semester left technically?
1: Yeah, just a semester left.
0: Yeah, and, and you, I just remember all of you guys were like, we're not gonna graduate. And I was, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is fucking crazy. I was like- It How-? was really wild. Yeah, I was like how can they just shut it down? And and the fact that it was a for-profit school. It's like what sort of financial person did they have running that thing? Because right. I mean, yeah. we're playing guitar and we're giving them 30,000 a year. I mean, you think you <laughs> yeah. think they'd figure it out like, you know, we got a good thing going on. Let's try to really really manage it well and sustain it for the future, but they just they just wrecked it.
1: Yes, yeah. And uh, you froze up there a little bit, but I I caught your, I caught your drift.
0: Uh, oh, sorry. But yeah, yeah. It
1: seems like, seems like, you know, like you said, 30000 a year. Um, you know, if we're being generous and saying that all of the teachers are getting paid ninety k a year, a 3 to 1 student-teacher ratio should take care of all the overhead, right? Maybe 4 to 1 so that you can cover, like, all of the, all the rent and whatnot. But it was, like, I don't know, 12, 13 to 1, something like that. <laughs> so where is it all going, huh?
0: That's a good question. Well, the fact that it was a for profit school, I don't like that idea of yeah. but at least they came out and said it. But I mean, does doesn't didn't the owner or the creator of it? Didn't he have like a private jet and shit?
1: Yeah, yeah, they did. Um they and they kind of got like really, really torched in the community afterward for it. And, you know, over the last couple years, it's become clear that it wasn't. The school didn't go bankrupt because they were taking money out, because both of them have also declared personal bankruptcy. And um, so it's, you know, while, while the initial sentiment was like, hey, screw these guys that like took all the money and left the school to burn, um, it's, it's kind of become clear over the last, I don't know, a couple years that it, it, it failed for a lot of reasons, but one of those appears to not be that they were taking too much out.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I had never, I had never really heard uh, what happened exactly, but I do remember people just being furious uh, at the fact ah. that the, you know, here's, here's, you know, very successful people with a lot of money and off they go on their private jet into paradise. You know, obviously that's not the correct yeah. narrative, like you just stated, but um, yeah, it I just certainly
1: I, seemed like the narrative at the time though. I mean, it, um, that at the time it definitely seemed like that's what was going on.
0: Yeah. Well, just, and just the fact that they were like base, you know, when it shut down, like all the kids that were staying in the dorms, like they, they shut the dorms down. It's like, they had to, and they had literally like five days to figure out where they were going to be living.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there was a decent number of international students that also kind of got hammered by it and had to go back, like fly back internationally and then couldn't come back um, to the U S because the visa was a school visa and things like that. Um, but yeah, so so that occurred at the end of 2017 and kind of got like shot out of school that way. Uh, and pretty immediately after that, I'd been working as a personal trainer through most of college. Um, and pretty immediately after that, got a job teaching guitar, uh, which is kind of what I had always wanted to do in some manner or another. Um, you know, even even like the childhood dream of like, Oh, I'm going to be a rock star and tour the world and make millions of dollars on a bus, right? Um, even that kind of for myself was always coupled with this idea of, like, I would also be doing lessons and teaching people and things like that. Um, so that was kind of always the goal. But I got out of college and got this job teaching guitar um, at a school that we'll, we'll leave nameless. Um, but it sucked. Uh I was there for I was there for four months and the guy got me two students. Mm. Um and just you know, and there was all sorts of management issues going on. Um you know, it took him two months to get me my first paycheck, things like that. So so I quit that job feeling pretty discouraged and that kind of put me at discouraged on guitar teaching, I should say. So that kind of sent me back to the drawing board. I brainstormed a bunch of different ideas like, all right, well, what what are we going to do now? And one of those things, kind of the top of the list, was to go back to school for music law, um, which albeit is a very expensive, very time-consuming ordeal. So um, I was listening to – I'm pretty sure it was Derek Sivers that said this, uh, but he recommended that whenever possible before making an investment, a major investment in something, to try it um in whatever manner you can so i kind of took that advice and got a job at a law firm which was not a music law firm it was a personal injury law firm and um, just to kind of see what what life was like as a lawyer right and kind of study these lawyers and the way they were living their lives and and kind of what the job created as a as a style of living and and the job was really brutal um, had a pretty demanding, um, rather difficult boss, but we, you know, it ultimately was an incredibly good thing and ultimately really grateful for the idea. Cause it, it showed me that I didn't want to do that and saved me four years and probably $120,000 of, of tuition and everything.
0: Yeah. That's smart. Uh, like you just said before you throw hundreds of thousands of dollars into something or anything, starting a business or some sort of brand or idea, it's like, just get your, just, dip dip your toes in a bit try it out yeah Uh, yeah yeah a bunch of
1: other people have taken the risk so jump out there and let them take the risk and just kind of be a cog in the machine and see what the machine is like before before jumping in
0: yeah well i i admire the fact that you just jumped into you went you know you just like your your willingness to just try things like (laughs) let's just try the personal law law firm no it's not music law but i bet if i do jump into it i'm going to learn a lot and it that all, everything that I learned could be applied to music law. Um, so I admire, yeah, I think more people need to do that. Just like the willingness to just like, just try things. I think if there's anything yeah. that's a little different about myself and I'm very modestly, cause I'm just a normal person for sure, but I, I'm willing to like, just try things. Whereas a lot of, and, like I'm willing to start things and if they don't work, then just, you know, whatever, it's no big deal. But I think a lot of people get caught up on, like, they're too afraid to fail. And so they'd never try things, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, especially, you know, I mean, I guess I could kind of get that fear as you get older and you have more responsibilities and whatnot. But especially at our age, younger than our age, even a little older than our age, it's, um, yeah, experiment with stuff and be willing, I guess, to accept that, it's not the right thing or to move along from it if it's not the right thing. Because if you don't,
0: then you're just gonna kind of be miserable, right? For sure. I just listened to, um, you still hear me right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought the audio went up for a second. Um, I just finished listening to uh, Mark Cuban's How to Win at the Sport of Business. Have you read that one?
1: I have not read that one, no.
0: Super quick, it's like an hour, it's not even two hours on Audible. Uh, And basically, it's a it's a culmination of his different blog posts. And he talked exactly about that. He's like, if you're in your 20s, he's like, just go try different things, especially if you don't know exactly it is what you want to do, which is most people. And so he's like, just go try things, go mess up, go adventure, go have fun. And it's like, you're going to figure out what it is that you want to do along the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. and Yeah, I mean, the I guess to kind of tie that back in like the law firm was a failure right because it i determined that's not the route to go and um, and it left me with like a lot of uh, like i said the boss was pretty demanding and pretty uh angry all the time let's say so you know <laughs> like a few times a week of being beat down and being told that you're stupid and whatnot kind of kind of takes a toll but all of that to be said it i had to make money one like i had to find some way to make money and it allowed me to do that it allowed me to save a ton of money and a ton of time and then there's the other kind of intangibles of now I'm a musician with law firm experience on my resume which never hurts and things like that so it's uh, I guess like a, I think a lot of a lot of my friends I see going into things and it's just like a very clear either this is going to succeed or not uh, and even the things that don't succeed, there's so many of those sorts of things that you can take out of it that make can turn that like failure of that thing into a success in the long term.
0: Yeah, even just looking at you know at the times that we're in right now with the pandemic and quarantining and everything, it's like if we have our eyes open and, and we're paying a bit of attention, it's like hopefully we can all hopefully we are, we're all learning some lessons from this, you know, time of adversity. It's like, for me, it was like a big reminder of, Oh, what's, you know, what's most important, like what really matters. And it's like family, uh, as you know, family, it's like, what really matters. And it's like all this extraneous shit kind of falls to the wayside, uh, that we're always thinking about and worrying about. And yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I wanted to jump in with you. Um, talking about uh, fitness, because I was thinking about this the other day, how you and I, I don't know, you know, I can only speak for myself, but you're, you're my closest friend from college that, that we've stayed in touch, you know, we've stayed in touch, you've come to Mm -hmm. Michigan, we've hung out a good bit whenever I'm in the cities and stuff like that. And uh, apart from the fact that we've always had had a good time together, and we've uh, had some some beers together, done that, you know, hit some strip Mm -hmm. clubs uh well, i feel Good like oh man the deja vu strip club i've talked about that on here it's like that it was the first podcast or a, a podcast first um first strip club that i i had ever met. yeah we had ever been to and a wild <laughs>
1: place
0: like remember i was and they were just completely naked and i was like shouldn't they be covered up a little bit like <laughs> like come, yes yes like tease us a little come on play the game a bit
1: <laughs> it survived the pandemic though so they're doing something right
0: True, true. It's like uh, yeah. But anyway, um <laughs> yeah. I I feel as if that one thing that really like st- bonded our friendship together was the fact that you and I are both very passionate about exercise and fitness. And so mm-hmm. yeah. um how did now I I really I don't know. Like how did you get into fitness?
1: Yeah, so I um didn't really work out much in the classic sense right like in a gym moving barbells or dumbbells or whatever Um, didn't do much of that in high school at all but I did play sports all the way through 12th grade Um, through middle school I played uh, baseball ran cross country and did football and uh, then once high school came around I kind of tailored that down to just baseball Um, and played baseball all four years through college um, also did a lot of martial arts all the way through. You were playing
0: play baseball college. in college? I didn't play
1: baseball in college.
0: Oh, okay. no, no. Yeah. Was,
1: sorry. That was misspoke. Played baseball all the way through high school. Gotcha. Um,
0: I was going to say, I was like, when yeah, the fuck were you sneaking off to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, no. So all the way through high school and same with martial arts. did martial arts are all the way through high school. Um,
0: That's right. Did so you do Taekwondo?
1: I uh, working out in. Uh, it was technically karate. The school I was going to, though, a uh, place called World Karate down in Barney, Texas. Uh, Mr. Brown is the teacher there. Really, really fantastic dude and fantastic program. And, and provided a lot of really good, like, life learnings, I guess you could say. And Strongly believe it's one of the top five things I can recommend uh, on top of, you know, we've already hit the one of fail often and fail quickly I guess but um the second one is learn how to learn how to fight right because it and um, it really changes a lot about life when you can walk down a street and know like be comfortable that if someone was gonna attack you, you'd be fine um the but anyways as a, that's an aside the so I was active all the way through high school even though I wasn't really working out and this was all down in Texas and then I moved from Texas to Minnesota to come up to college, and go to a college that has no sports teams, no intramurals, so sports are pretty much off the table.
0: It's like the most unathletic uh, college in the oh, country. It was unreal.
1: <laughs> it was unreal. Um, we had like an intramural dodgeball team for two years. We went like 0-4 uh, <laughs> in dodgeball freaking dodgeball <laughs> i don't even know how you lose four games of dodgeball in a row because it's just like a coin toss of whoever wins but um <laughs> but anyway so i'm up in minnesota at a school with no sports and then october uh, i guess november rolls around and it gets dark all the time and really cold so it's not like i can go out and you know go on runs or or anything like that so i kind of I, I took the opportunity to got gym membership and just kind of fell into it and loved it that way.
0: That was a big, that had to have been a big change for you coming up from the, the beauty, beautiful heat of Texas to the frigid wasteland of Minnesota.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean the heat of Texas is not beautiful. It's um, it's uh, the best way I can describe it is that it is the opposite of Minnesota. Minnesota has like a six to seven month long winter. That is brutal. Texas has a six to seven month summer. That's brutal. Mm. Um, and the opposite, like the the winters in Texas are very very nice. they you know they get down to like the low thirties. The highs are in the low fifties every day. It's very lovely. Uh, and same here, like the summers are really nice up here. So, it's it's just kind of like a the other side of the coin, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, that's just just like it is here in the Upper Peninsula. It's like beautiful beautiful summers, like harsh intense winters. I just remember when we started hanging out, uh, you were just like, fuck this cold. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm kind of impressed that you've uh, – I feel like you are like a Minnesotan now. I mean you've been there so long.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been here six years now. Uh, I uh, had was living in a house with a couple guys for two years, though, and determined that was not the route when it snows a lot. Because if you live in an apartment building, someone else shovels the snow for you.
0: Uh, mm, yes and that's
1: that's huge that's great <laughs> um so would highly recommend if you live somewhere where it's snowing and you're in a city do an apartment just yeah just oh, do an apartment
0: for sure so, okay so november rolls around you can't run you can't get outside and so you get a gym membership
1: yeah absolutely um, and partly as a way to stay active partly as a way you know got to get the chicks uh <laughs> the but but yeah, mainly as kind of, it was just, I guess, like a way to have the ability to do something that was marginally healthy for myself. And, and, you know, I guess like I started with fitness as everyone does with like the, the prefab bodybuilding.com, uh, workout plans by some dude that's in New York and is definitely taking a lot of steroids. Uh, (laughs) but Thing you're like, oh yeah, look at that guy. And this, he says, this is his plan. So I just got to follow it. Uh, And there is something to that, but I mean, obviously, you don't, you don't look like the bodybuilding pros unless you live your entire life like a bodybuilding pro. But that was kind of like the, the step in, and then the routine of it of having some place to go for an hour, hour and a half every day, and that was kind of like my time to work on myself was crucial
0: yeah i view the gym as like my sanctuary Mm -hmm. it's it's like a special place where i can be with myself and i can just blow off steam and and go crazy whether it be through weightlifting or cardio or like more relaxed with stretching and and more like mindfulness stuff but it's like a i think for for people like you and me who are are so into it it really is it's like a, a holy space it's for sure yeah yeah
1: and you know I um I was talking with someone the other day about this of kind of throughout my whole life I've always tried to monetize my hobbies um so like worked as a personal trainer right the working out was a hobby to try to turn that into making some money um the teaching guitar I like to play guitar so try to turn that into money um I like to cook a lot, so they got kicked around the idea of going to cooking school, and um, one of the things that the pandemic, like you were saying, it kind of focuses everything down, right, um, is I've started to kind of believe that you shouldn't monetize your hobbies, that you should allow them to ma- remain as as hobbies, because mm. to take that example of the gym, like you were just talking about, the instant you monetize your time in the gym, it kind of, it somehow kind of devalues that holiness almost of this is like my place to come and and work on myself and um, and not to say it doesn't come back right i'm not working as a personal trainer anymore and that feeling is definitely there um, but it's just something to consider right if the instant you monetize that hobby it's not really a hobby anymore
0: yeah it becomes more so of a responsibility yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely see what you mean. But I do think that's a beautiful way of looking at it, like monetizing your hobbies, like monetizing mm-hmm. things. Obviously, I'm trying my hardest to monetize this podcast. And uh, obviously, I've been trying my hardest throughout years to monetize all my music. All that, and then that's why I sent you that that picture the other day of like I had 160,000 streams and I made like $400. It's like, <laughs> great yeah Yeah, i'll
1: I'll happily rail on spotify i ran some numbers the other day i don't know if you want to get into that territory but sure um, sure i have some uh some very strong feelings that the current business practices in the music industry while they've never been good they're really truly predatory right now and and it it kind of baffles me a little bit i guess that the major labels and uh the pros, SCAP cap and bmi and csec don't stand up and say something about it because uh, for instance yeah you know, i was looking into spotify's numbers the other day and and first off i mean it's i'm a very skeptical individual so when someone like spotify makes it really difficult to find their uh profit numbers and everything then that kind of immediately sets off alarm bells right but um on on average, a musician gets paid somewhere between like one and three tenths of a cent per play uh, and Spotify is making on average when you factor in all of their profits and everything from and then divide that out by the total number of streams that they had in twenty nineteen they made somewhere between one and three cents per stream mm. um, gross right so you do have to factor in the like the the expenses that they have and everything um but the fact of the matter is that the spot ceo of spotify Daniel Eck, made more than any musician in the world last year
0: of course he made
1: uh i think it was like 1.3 billion dollars last year um and like no other musician came close and i want to say maybe post malone was the highest paid musician last year but it was it was somewhere in the triple digit millions but but not not 1.3 or 4 or whatever that um this spotify ceo made so i think you got to kind of look at that and recognize it on both sides of one it's a broken system because it's devaluing the the product really of music because eventually it's that's going to end up kind of destroying musicians ability to to make music right um but at the same time you i don't know it's yes so i'll, I'll leave it at that i'll leave it no, at
0: that no you're you're totally right and i'm a big fan of spotify I, I pay for it as a subscription i love that i can listen to music uh basically you know basically free with no commercials wherever i want whenever i want but as an artist who has music up on on spotify it's like like you just said it it's like you're you're not making any money you're you're no I, none. Yeah, my song, I have my song, Crazy in Love, um, somewhere. I I don't even know where, um, but they showed me analytically that it has, and this isn't on Spotify, but it showed that it had 75,000 streams. I don't know if it's on YouTube or where it is. 75,000 plays, and uh, I made like $30. And uh, it's like, like I said, 160,000 streams, like $400. It's like, I'm making almost $400 a month off this podcast now through Patreon. And I was like, why the fuck haven't I done this years ago? <laughs> um, yeah. But my my perspective on Patreon changed, and and I was looking at Patreon as a crowdfunding sort of GoFundMe, I'm broke, please give me money platform, uh, and that is yeah. how that's how they initially were set up. Um, but then they changed it to a membership platform, basically like a Netflix. But um, I think you're totally right. I mean, the fact that you just said that the CEO makes $1.3 billion and good for him for creating an amazing product that I find value in and that I love. But I mean, the fact, I mean, you make no money. You, I mean, like I'm i I'm a fan of Spotify as far as reaching people. Um, like you can, if you land on a playlist or something like that, or like, that's a big deal. Like a Spotify playlist really can enhance your, you know your your reach um yeah and but and that has to keep happening over and over and over and over and over and over again and then you start to make money um but for sure like um itunes is the best way for actual money uh apple music at least like when i look at my numbers um Mm -hmm. you know the biggest bang for my buck is when people go and buy the album you know go buy go buy the singles uh but Yeah. yeah it's it's a the music industry is a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy fucked up industry. And like, it's like,
1: it has been for a long time also. And I guess just as like to, I know you know this, but you know, as a couple disclaimers on the conversation we're having at the moment, uh, first off for myself, in case I screwed up any of the numbers, you know, the uh, working off memory. So (laughs) any of, any of you listeners that are going to, Think about commenting back and be like no he only made 1.1 1. 1 billion then you know the the point remains the same
0: yes settle, uh, settle down everyone
1: <laughs> simmer down <laughs> uh, the the other thing is i guess kind of like what you were just saying the music industry this is not a new thing that the music industry has exploited people it's a it's a new way that it's exploiting people but really as long as we have had a music industry in america it's been Exploiting people. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we're harping on Spotify right now, but I guess I don't want to just clarify that it's not like Spotify came into this golden utopia of an industry and screwed it up. It's The, the industry was already jacked up ahead of time.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's always been nefarious characters. I mean, everyone, even people who aren't musicians, they know the narrative of managers screwing over musicians and record labels screwing over musicians. And yeah. uh, it is, it's, it's, it is a, it's a very unique industry. Let's just say that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is to it either, because at this point the cat is out of the bag, and, and it's going to be really difficult to convince consumers to go back to some sort of environment where you have to buy every single song that you want to listen to. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not really sure that there is a great answer to the to the problem. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. No. But- um sorry if I just cut you off but I just wanted to say it's like um live mu- live shows are like musicians best friends as far as making money. Uh at least that's been my experience. And then and now let's look at fucking how covid took that away from everyone. Um which yeah. brings me to another point I wanted to uh cover with you. What's it been like uh what's the music scene like right now in the Twin Cities?
1: Um it is genuinely not good um the music cities are a really liberal place um uh, very left leaning that's in the music cities sorry the twin cities um are a very left leaning place so because of that, a lot of businesses uh, have been really reluctant to reopen uh which uh, we can you know we can discuss whether or not that's the right move or not later, but the fact of the matter is that it's really taken away a lot of opportunities for uh i i guess you could say smaller bands or local bands to perform and um, the you throughout this summer we have had some things going on like like a rooftop concert or a drive-in concert or something like that but the kind of the fact of that matter is that that only works if you have a huge draw right um no one is setting up and going through the difficulty of doing a drive-in concert, unless you're going to be able to, you know, sell 5,000 tickets to it because you have to have this monstrous stage in order to do it. And there's a huge cost structure. Um, And kind of the same general deal with the rooftop concerts and things like that. And there have been some people that are doing some good stuff for local bands um, putting on some shows and things like that but again that kind of is like unless you were in the top five bands of lo- the local scene before all of this began then uh, then those opportunities because they're so incredibly limited aren't really aren't really there and uh, and there has been you know I mean I guess the issue that we've run into as our band which a little shameless plug here our band's called of the orchard uh, and we had an album that was slated to come out in may uh, and we pushed it because of the pandemic and ended up putting it out i guess a little over a week ago now it's monday so a week and a half ago now uh available on all streaming services the uh, <laughs> go go, uh,
0: go go listen to it and not support them because they're not going to get any fucking money
1: <laughs> yeah exactly um but, you know, we pushed it to try to be able to do something with the album release, and it just, there isn't, there isn't much there, um, and we, you know, we kind of talked with a few bars around the town, because bars are still interested in having having live music, but the the fact of the matter is with all of the capacity restrictions right now, bars are operating on such a limited budget that they can't really afford to pay what they used to or what really a live show is worth, um uh, So you're kind of forced to work off of ticket sales, but ticket sales are capped at a lower amount also. Um, So it kind of ends up with this thing where you either have to kind of like overnight double your ticket price in order to try to make the same amount of money or accept that you're going to make basically nothing out of the deal. And and we ultimately decided against doing that just because we felt like it wasn't now is not the time to try to double ticket prices on people and make it more expensive to go and do things um so yeah i mean the music scene there people are still making music releasing music and things like that but um the music scene here is pretty pretty dead at the moment
0: mm. are you guys running at half capacity
1: um, it is it, it kind of yes and no um the, the official wording from Minnesota at the moment is that restaurants and bars can be open at either 50% capacity or wh- how many ever people can get in there and maintain six-foot dist- six radius of a circle around them,
0: <laughs> whichever
1: like... one of those is smaller.
0: Okay, uh, and
1: like... Generally speaking, the six-foot thing is a smaller number than the 50% capacity um uh, so and then on top of that like i was saying a lot of places in the twin cities are a pretty left-leaning place so a lot of places aren't even hitting those numbers uh, mm. so we'll see we'll see what happens when winter rolls around and um, a lot of places right now are existing kind of off of patios because that's a lot easier to manage and everything and um, but obviously that has a time limit on it right but so so we'll see. Say, yeah,
0: that goes away with living in Minnesota. I mean they can they can pull that off in California, uh, but yeah, not too fucking cold.
1: <laughs> yeah, no one's going to a brewery to sit on a patio in January.
0: No, no. Yeah. Just,
1: just buy the beer and take it back home.
0: And it's it's you know, with that's that's such a difficult thing with these venues being closed because that's how entertainers start their career i mean when i was living in minneapolis it's like i played all over the place and i know you've played all over the place there and it's like our friend jake too's now it's like he played all over the place i mean that's 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 what entertainers do is they 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 move to a city and they work the local scene and they they hone their craft and they get better and better and then eventually they hit the road and start doing it but it's like when you take that away it's like you're you're taking away a part of the pro a part of the creative process of honing your craft and honing your live show. It's like I haven't done a show in 9 months and I know if I went out there right now it'd be rusty. I got to knock the oh, rust yeah. off. Oof, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, um so it, it it's a shame that I understand why they're doing it but it's like I hope all these just I hope all these musicians have are like able to collect unemployment or, or figure that out or have been collecting unemployment because I you know a lot of musicians um Oh, I just lost my fucking video off my phone. That's all right. All right, we're gonna go. We're gonna be going here now. All um, right. Um, yeah, a lot of musicians they don't think they don't have a business mentality. You know what I mean? Like I feel like you think very business like. Like you you, you know, just the way you talk about numbers and the way you speak, you know, you understand that it's a business. And I feel like a lot of musicians forget that, or they're just like, I just want to sing and be creative, man. It's like, no, you have to understand that you have, you have to know how to make money and you have to be filing these, these forms and doing all this stuff. And uh, so I don't know. I just, I hope these, these these musicians are collecting unemployment, but um, that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about is how you said the twin cities are such left leaning, uh, like I think I've heard you describe them maybe as like hyper progressive sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So so of course a few months ago the George Floyd incident happened out there. Um and I, I think it's safe to say that we we all agree that what happened to him was horrible and that like I think I don't I've never I haven't heard anyone say otherwise, you know. But um what what was it like Living in the, in Minneapolis when that happened because I remember I, I texted you and and to see how you were doing, and you sent me I don't know, I just ended up looking at like the fucking riots that were going on there the fires I remember you said you woke up from a couple explosions that went off so what what was it like living in in Minneapolis when the George Floyd incident happened and has has it improved there since?
1: Um, I said let me let me handle it on each each of those things on their own so when when the george floyd stuff happened it um it happened on a monday right and there there was a firm like two-day lag time where everyone was kind of in the cities were in a little bit of a state of shock i guess you could say yeah The, the this video was circulating and it was kind of like you said no one really disagreed like it was on a on a level of just in in that everyone was kind of just floored that this would occur. And, and especially in, you know, Minneapolis doesn't exactly have the best track record of police with black people interactions. Um, You know, we had, um, Philando Castile. Um, I think that occurred when you were living in the twin cities, um, and then a few years before that, there was another incident like that. Um, so it's, yeah, that the Twin Cities are not exactly a stranger to this. So I think kind of the shock was compounded by the fact that it's like, how does this just continually happen on this egregious of a level here? You know, it's not like it's not like we're living in Chicago or Los Angeles or New York where it's like a really violent place and yeah, there's a lot of really tense interactions it's Minneapolis. It's a B-level city. It's not like it, you know, it's it's not like we have a bunch of organized crime and yada yada. Um, so I think that there was that lag period of just like, holy crap. Um, and then Wednesday and Thursday of that week, I actually thought uh, were really, I guess you could say good. Um, there was a little bit of rioting and looting going on, but not not much, you know it was it was within the realm of you could tell that this was just kind of like some isolated pockets um of angry people and or people taking advantage of the situation. but uh, I thought I had to feel very similar to and I guess I was five, so maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I thought I had to feel very similar to how kind of the country felt after nine eleven happened where everyone was kind of together on the same page that, hey, this is bad and we need to work together and get this fixed. Uh, but there was kind of this low murmur that the weekend was gonna be rough because there were a bunch of kind of the big organizations flying in and, and what, do you mean, what do you mean by that big organization? That turned out. In? Uh, not to, Not to speak out of turn, but maybe just like, Maybe the best way to say it is just a bunch of people that don't live in the Twin Cities were going to be flying into the Twin Cities, uh, ostensibly to to protest and try to create change. Uh, the but that that ended up being the case, and then uh, Friday Saturday you know was kind of the the big days when we saw a ton of burning and a ton of looting and. Um, uh, I guess, like a systematic failure at kind of every level because the, um, the, the protesters turned violent, which causes problems. The police became more violent in their response to the protests, which creates more problems. The governor drug his feet on bringing the National Guard in, so there wasn't really a trained force that actually knew how to handle something like this. Um, they didn't show up until Sunday. Uh, so like it very much felt kind of just like a good luck, mm. uh, sort of situation, which, which was pretty dicey. And, um, I think, you know, I think really kind of the, not to speak out, out of turn, I guess, cause there's a lot of bad things on every side of this equation, but for what I'm talking about right now, the that rioting and that looting that we saw occurring where people were burning buildings and like, we have we have an entire whole neighborhood that is um you know six or seven blocks of where i'm sitting right now that is destroyed um and well probably is not going to come back for i gotta think it's going to take a year or two for them oh, to it's at to- least get the buildings usable again yes, uh yes and when that occurred it gave anyone who wanted an out from having to be for police reform and everything it gave them that out um so now they could say like yeah well the police need to be reformed maybe but look at what the rioters have done uh, and i really think that that is rather despicable because everyone was in agreement things were maybe not moving as fast as people wanted them to but that they were starting to move in that direction of getting some substantial change and it it really kind of turned into this partisan issue and it's a real a real shame i think um uh, so that was what it was like when it happened um uh, all of that being said you know we made it through safe and sound all, all windows intact all people intact that i know of um no, no possessions harmed anything like that, um, and it was kind of like a, a very unique thing to to live through. Um, so it was, I know, mean, I, I don't want to say it was cool, but <laughs> but it was kind of cool to like live through and experience all of the like the people trying to come together in the city and mm,
0: the yes. divisiveness
1: that occurred and everything. May, maybe unique is a better way to put it than cool because it wasn't cool. But I see uh, what you're saying that yeah so that was what it was like when it happened um now as far as kind of what's occurred since then has been really i think kind of a a mess personally um Mm. speaking from both both fact and my personal belief um the facts of the matter are that since this occurred um the city council has come out we were the first city to come out and the city council said they were going to explore options to defund the police um and that happened i don't know two or three weeks or so after all of the george floyd stuff got got calmed back down and you know buildings weren't being burned anymore and things like that um and pretty rapidly after that we saw a really sharp increase in violent crime and shocker yeah you 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 sent me a thing saying that you were going to ask about this. I did just like a touch of research to make sure that my opinion went wrong on this. But um, across the country this year, we've seen an increase of 5.3 percent on average across the whole country in violent crime. Um, Minneapolis, since the George Floyd incident, has seen a 17 percent increase. Um, so nearly shit. three times the national average. Um, and, you know, you look at the the city council comes out and says hey we, we're going to explore options to defund the police and then a month later asks the police to provide more protection to the neighborhoods that these council members live in um so uh. it just is like a very um a very pandery thing but on a more more important side i mean the the fact of the matter is that crime is rising and Some of that is to blame on the rhetoric coming out of leadership. And also some of it is to blame on the police themselves. Right. I mean, it's, it's their job to decrease crime. uh, And to kind of keep people safe. And ultimately they're not doing that job.
0: Yeah. Well, this idea of defunding the police, I mean, I think any thinking person would understand that that's a fucking horrible idea. It's like, like Trump tweeting, like law and order. It's like, yes, we, yeah, we do need law and order. Like the guy's a little crazy, but I mean, I agree. And I think most everyone would agree. So I I think that people just obviously everyone, not everyone, but certain people really despise police right now. And so they think that they need to get rid of them. And they think, I mean, it's, and it's like in the moment that sounds good, especially when crowd pathology and everyone is saying yeah like no police no police and it's like when there's a fucking crowd of people saying no police even if people who are like half and half who aren't really like independent thinkers they might go "Uh, well yeah maybe they're right maybe we should get rid of the police or they're too afraid to speak out against it because they'll get criticized or in certain situations attacked physically if you're in a city with these violent with with violent protests going on i understand that there's peaceful ones as well but um do you know what's going on not to
1: just just to kind of i guess say something on that um and not to overly contradict you but i think ultimately a lot of these people that are saying to defund the police are are thinking people and it's not a a lack of logical capability um i think it generally stems from a misunderstanding of why we have these problems in the police and and i yeah, I guess just as a few examples, there's right now uh, in most major cities the volume of crime versus the number of police officers. Police officers are instructed that they have to handle a call within 90 seconds of arrival, uh, which, you know, for some of these instances promotes more severe action than is maybe necessary, right? Maybe you could talk someone down, but also you could just tackle them. And you would be done with it quicker. Uh, there's no national register of police who have been sanctioned for violent offenses. So, for instance, um, you yeah, know a cop could get fired for abusing uh, um, a, an arrestee in one city. And then they could just go to another city. And unless that city specifically called and asked why the person got fired, there's no national register to show that that person got fired for abuse of force. Mm. Um, and Rogan and Jocko Willink had a really good podcast on that. It was the last one that they did together uh, yes. maybe a few months ago. But, but Jocko did a really good job of outlining some of those issues. And I think everyone's on board that yeah, the police are not succeeding at the moment and change needs to occur there. I think just the the concept of that change is that we need to defund the police stems from a, a misunderstanding of why we have the issues that we
0: do. Mm. That was a very nice way to articulate it. Um, yeah, I remember I messaged you uh, when that, that Jocko Rogan podcast came out. I was like, did you see that? And you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. yeah. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: and I, I mean, like I, I gave a few things there, but if if anyone's on the fence about it, I, I would really, really recommend it because he does a really fantastic job of kind of walking through each of the major issues and kind of where they come from and how they could be fixed.
0: And he's such a, like, he can detach so well and look at things really objectively. I mean, that's what his training as a leader in the military—that's what he did, like. So I've heard him talk about that. It's like when you're in the middle of a like, fight where literally you're, you could die and you're killing people. He's like, you detach, you think objectively. It's like, there's no emotion. It's like, you're, like that's a special type. Not I don't want to say a special type of person. It might be, but I mean, it, like talk about just a, an exceptional leader. And that's sort of, that's, I mean, that's what his podcast is. I mean, his whole show is all about leadership. You know, he wrote a book about leadership. The guy's a leader. Yeah. 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 Safe to say. So what are they doing now in Minneapolis? Do you know, are they still, are people still leaning towards the idea of defunding the police? I, act, cause I'm a little, I'm a little disconnected from the news.
1: Yeah. The general sentiment is still leaning that way, but I think has um, definitely swung away from the reactivity and i think people are a little bit more into the fact that just some manner of really really substantial reform needs to occur um, is you know and not to throw too much of my own opinion in here but i think it's probably is pretty evident that that's true when you when every you know two or three years you're having one of these incidents of a police abusing force that becomes a national level incident because it's so incredibly egregious i think it's it's a little difficult to look at that and be like, yep, things are going fine. Let's keep going.
0: Yeah. But uh, what do you, but what do you think of when, when, you know, there's a, a white person that's killed by another white cop and that gets no news?
1: Yeah. Um, I I definitely do think that the the ethnicity of the person who is killed plays a very large role in the national coverage or not that, that an incident gets um i i don't necessarily think that one is worse than another right i mean i think it's equally bad if a cop kills a a black person as it is if a cop kills um a white person the um it, it is a little hard to look past the numbers of just if you look on a in interaction by interaction basis um so you kind of put everything on a scale, right? Because cops interact with white people a lot more than they do black people. So there are more by an objective number, there's more white people that are killed by cops. Um, but when you look at it on a scale of how often they're actually interacting, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. black people are killed at a rate of, it's like three or four times that white people are on a per interaction basis. Um, so, I mean, both are very bad. Um, From an objective fact, I don't think that either is worse than the other, but it is um, it is a little hard to, I guess, look at some of those stats and not think that there is some manner of a problem going on there.
0: Gotcha. No, you're right. There needs to be, as Jocko put it, like more training, better. Just we need we need better cops, and but 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 let's not forget, as we all know, it's like there's however many cops in the USA. There's many, many, many positive interactions, and there's many great cops. Mm-hmm. I'm for cops, and but I'm for cops doing the job right. And obviously, we know it's an incredibly stressful, difficult job. It's a very, 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 very difficult job. I mean, I'm sitting in my room fucking chatting with you, having a good time. This is my job at the moment. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, to be able to, yeah, to go out on the street every day, particularly in a dangerous city or any, you know, not necessarily saying Minneapolis, but any city where there is a high crime rate or really anywhere it's like you might not come home that night like there's like that's a real thought that I would say most every police officer has obviously I'm speculating but I I would assume that that's a real thought not only on the minds of the police officers but on the minds of the families you know of of police officers it's like
1: and and it's important to remember I mean especially not to specifically call people out but especially the people that are calling for the defunding of the police and everything it's it's especially important to remember that while you're doing that and while you're are victimizing and saying like these phrases of like all cops are bastards and things like that it's i think it's really important to remember that the vast majority of cops go out and risk their like you said their ability to come home that night to their family simply to make it the world a safe enough place that you can walk around and say all cops are bastards, and um, and you know a little bit uh, in situations like this a lot little bit of empathy goes a very very long way right
0: yeah there's there seems to be very little empathy uh, <laughs> these days yeah. going on yeah that that's such a broad brush it's like all cops are bad like, oh all of them <laughs> like, uh, all of them oh wow yeah. wow we have a we have a problem but obviously I, I do agree with you that there needs to be more training, and as I think we would both agree, like more funding and more education. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to set these people up for success, right? And uh, like you said, it's an ultimately a very, very hard job, and it's a lot of split-second, very important decisions are made, and we have to kind of give the people the opportunity to succeed and, and accept the fact, I guess, that every now and then they're not
0: yeah well people are flawed and we always will be and social media like positive interactions with po- like positive videos in general they're not really going viral you know it's no, all yeah. it's it it is the the videos that blow up where you see somebody you know killing someone on the street it is those videos that that go around and around because it is it's you know it is so insidious and when you see it it's you know it's horrific and then people out of anger share there's a great book that i that you'd probably really like it's called contagious by jonah berger i think i'm correct with saying that and he talks it's it's all about how ideas spread um and one of the the things that that makes something spread whether it's an idea or a video or a brand whatever it is um one of the underlying one of the underpinnings to it is uh emotion and then he goes through different emotions and like if something makes you sad you you probably won't share it cuz it's almost like an energy level it's like a like a depressant almost um but if something makes you angry and you get fucking fired up like you are quick to hit that share button and so it's like yeah. it's understandable that these videos get taken and everyone gets furious and then they get shared and, shared and shared and shared and shared and shared and uh and then before you know it everyone's seeing it and then before you know it the conversation of defund the police is going on but i understand that it's been years and years of of shit going on and like i said i agree that there there needs to be like you just said set up like give them a chance to succeed um but i wanted to move on oh sorry no go on
1: i guess one last thing to kind of wrap that up um the there are a lot of incredibly incredibly smart caring people in the country working on the problem so just kind of i guess an encouragement to people that to sift through the reactionary inflammatory things that are kind of like defund the police that are designed to just get people riled up and, and look more towards some of these like really smart, smart, really thoughtful people that are trying to come up with reasonable solutions, I guess you could say to fix the problem. Cause there are a lot of them out there and, um, and yeah. So well, that's, that's, that's a, a great,
0: that's right. a great reminder because you, there are there's there's millions of people there uh, there's millions of really great people in this country and in this world and um i couldn't agree with you more i wanted to talk to you a little bit because we got a big day tomorrow uh yes indeed oh what do you so for people listening uh it is november second and uh the election is tomorrow uh any what do you think what do you think we think we spiral into a civil war depending upon the uh candidate <laughs> or
1: um, well, I guess uh so this is probably gonna be po- posted on Wednesday, you said, right? So I guess this is a pretty uh, notable like either I'm gonna gonna nail this or miss this.
0: You got a fifty substantially. <laughs>
1: so um I I guess a few of the safe predictions um is I think it's pretty safe to say it's not gonna be done on the third. Um and you know there's what I think is some pretty concerning rhetoric coming out of the both parties. Um undermining the integrity of the election process um but the fact of the matter is that there's a huge amount of mail-in voting going on and there probably is a little bit of something to the fact that yeah at the very least this is going to take a little bit longer to count just to make sure it's all accurate um and with something with the country as divided as it is right now i think it's pretty important to make sure that it is accurate um so so that's the first thing I guess is that I don't think, yeah, this is you said this podcast is coming out on Wednesday. I think it's largely prob very possible that when this podcast comes out, we still don't have a clear cut winner. I would agree. Uh, as far as who's gonna win, you know, I um, I think Biden will win. Uh, he appears to be leading in all the polls.
0: But, but so was Hillary, last last Hillary
1: time. seemed to be leading in a lot of the polls, also. So, um, so we'll really see. There is, you know, there's a guy named Dan Carlin who does a really great podcast called Hardcore History. Uh, but he has another podcast called Common Sense that kind of looks at political happenings and current events and everything like that and, and takes them from a pretty central standpoint i guess you could say um and just to like i don't want to do injustice to it so i'll preface this by saying that the podcast is only an hour everyone should just go listen to the podcast because it's a really smart breakdown of what's going on um uh, but to give the super brief summary of it uh, he effectively was saying that we have these two options we have trump and biden uh, and it would appear as if Trump is trying to intentionally steer us into an iceberg, whereas Biden has a large possibility of accidentally steering us into an iceberg. Yeah, we uh, might, he might just be and, falling asleep
0: at the wheel. That's all.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that, his opinion is that it's better to have someone that accidentally hits an iceberg than someone who is like intentionally steering us into that. So um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um you know, there's places are boarding up windows, so I think it's possible it can get messy, but well, did we you hear, can hope that it doesn't.
0: Yeah, well, did you hear what fucking Walmart's doing? They're like taking down guns and ammunition because they don't want to incentivize people to violence. What it.
1: Yeah, which they've they've since reversed on. Oh, have they? I mean, I think that, yeah, I think um, that was one of those things that was a uh good intention but very poorly thought out on the message that that sends
0: well my immediate thought was that yeah that's gonna get that's gonna calm people down oh hey walmart's taking away our guns and ammunition it's like (laughs) yeah i know i know it was just a temporary thing but it's like i mean every president in history that we've been alive the first thing they say is i support the second amendment and it's like that's like it's like a great catchphrase that people love to hear and uh, I just so when I heard that, I was like, Walmart, like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> That's yeah. a terrible idea. Like you just said, probably well intentioned, but very poorly thought out.
1: Yeah, for sure, very poorly thought out. Um, and I mean, it's it's good to see that they've reversed on it. But yeah, that, but yes. yeah, I mean, I think that it is. Both sides, I think, are kind of both the Democrat and the Republican side are at this point where it's like, if we don't get our way, then it must be because the system is broken and it um, I don't know. I mean, I think that we'll see, we'll see what happens.
0: Well, yeah, I think one thing that's very interesting about this whole snowball effect of the entire country seemingly coming to some sort of climax, whatever it will be. It's very interesting that along the way that the far the people on the far left like the 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 very very left leaning ideologies like they've they've shocked people so much that people who were left leaning they're they like there's a good handful of people left leaning who who are view Trump as the preferable alternative because they see the 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 far far left as like it's like <sighs> it's who was it the 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 the, uh who's who's running portland the super democratic person in portland where
1: yeah i can't i can't remember his name but but
0: it's he's like the most democratic leader in the nation and everyone's like not good enough (laughs) not progressive enough yeah it's like he just there's no end to it Yeah.
1: yeah and i uh I don't know. I mean, I personally have a lot more of an issue with what's going on in Congress than I do with the presidential stuff. Um, like what? I've, I've really appreciated the, over the last, I guess, couple of weeks, um, we finally got an opportunities, a, a few opportunities to really see Biden actually elaborate on some of his plans and whatnot. I've really appreciated that because as, as he has, there's, really only a couple things he said that I've felt are really ultra progressive that he, that he's for. Um, most of what he said I felt like has been rather moderate. Um, I tend to, for myself, I tend to be rather centrist. Um, so I, a moderate, a moderate left-wing guy, I tend to, tend to like as much as a moderate right-wing guy. Um, but, uh, so that's been kind of nice, but um, but yeah, I'm a, a little bit more worried about what will happen if we end up with um, alignment of House, Senate, and White House on either side, really, because I feel like both parties right now are um, so vengeful and kind of out to get the other one that any sort of like all blue or all red is just going to kind of spell extremism, which is n- not great
0: yeah as 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 polarizing as trump is and as much as a sociopath and narcissist like my only concern like let's let's think about with, with everything going on now and obviously this is just i'm speculating but with what i've seen i could be wrong politics isn't my my thing <laughs> um but from what i've seen it seems like biden is leaning more towards let's keep the country locked down. And I understand that this is a virus and I had it. And I understand that everyone goes through different experiences with it. But I think I personally think that shutting down the national economy was this biggest failed experiment in American history. That's that's led to much more harm than good. That's just where I, I view it. And my only concern with Biden is that he will keep everything closed and he says that he's listening to scientists and i understand that and i do understand that perspective and i try my hardest to truly hear what every you know what each candidate's saying even kanye west i want to hear him out uh <laughs> but um i just i just think i don't think our country can and whether biden does this or not who fucking knows but if he was to get, become president but i just feel like our country can't afford to be locked down anymore
1: yeah yeah it's um Oh no! I mean, I think that we have two different sides of things. We have the way Trump has handled it and the way Biden has said he's handled it. I think they're personally I think they're both wrong for different reasons. I think they're both too far in the spectrum. Trump is not taking it quite seriously enough, um, and Biden seems to be leaning a little too much on the fear side of things. Um, and you know, I think that Biden could use a little bit of benefit of not responding to questions like how are we going to live with this by saying what do you mean how are we going to live with this We're, what you need to be asking is how are we going to die with this <laughs> um, and you know getting away from that sort of like fear-based rhetoric and i think also I mean, to be fair trump could use to maybe take this a touch more seriously um
0: that's a good way the, of putting it
1: but the the fact of the matter is that we're watching what's happening in Europe now and these countries who did lock down hard, like everyone said they should, did defeat the virus for a few months, but Italy, the UK, Germany, they've all re-entered back into the France. They've all re-entered back into these lockdowns. Uh, And, you know, the, the, who has quietly slipped out the, The information that you really need to consider the lockdown before you do it, because the cost of the cure can't be higher than the cost of the disease. Um, And yeah, I do think America could survive a two or a four week lockdown, but when it's not clear that that's actually going to really defeat the virus, then you got to kind of ask like what the what the cost of the cure is there.
0: Yeah, what what are your thoughts on herd immunity? Just the virus working its way through everyone, and eventually we get to a point where it's no longer a problem. Yeah.
1: Um, obviously, I'm no no leader on this, right? I don't know uh, that much about medicine. Uh,
0: <laughs> we don't know what the fuck we're talking about.
1: <laughs> but by, by saying I don't know that much about medicine, I mean, I know nothing about medicine. I took a uh, personal trainer certification course five years ago. Uh, I and mean, that's all I know about medicine.
0: You seem qualified. Uh,
1: oh yeah super qualified so yeah really talking down my butt here but oh yeah uh, me too
0: asking this question oh what's your thoughts on herd immunity
1: (laughs) Uh, but I mean I do think that there's something to it Uh, Sweden definitely tried that Um, but again if we're looking at that as the cure we have to ask what the cost is going to be and you know I mean even if we're looking at like a a 0.1% fatality rate which I think I think is what we're sitting out now. Yep. I could be wrong on that. Um, I think you're correct, but that's, that, that is still 3.3 3 million people dead from this. Um, eh, if we go through herd the herd immunity process. So, um, and ultimately I think herd immunity is what's going to solve the equation. Right. But I, I do think that some of these measures to try to slow it down until we get a some manner of vaccine and can kind of eliminate the fatality risk of this is
0: probably worthwhile. Will you take the vaccine if it comes out? Absolutely. Yeah, I, a lot it of people- can be will... if
1: it gets through three different phases of trials and the FDA says it's good and they start putting it out and it's working. I, I know that there's a bunch of people out there saying that if Trump promotes it, I'm not gonna take it. But I mean, at some point it's like, come on, like <laughs> Trump is not the one clearing these vaccines.
0: Yeah, it's like, can we you try know. for a second not to make it political?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, if it gets through all of those trials and it works, then, then yeah.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. I, I, I would take it. I just don't want to be first in line. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a pretty healthy individual. I'll wait for a couple of weeks, see what happens. Yeah, people yeah. Start growing third legs, then maybe I'll, I'll stop. But
0: did you see what um, Bill Gates said uh, with I can't remember the interview who who said it or what? But like, well, obviously they're testing and everything, and so it was they said eighty percent of people taking the the vaccine are getting sick and experiencing side effects.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, his um, mm. that was one of his specific ones. So we got we got four in phase three right now, and I think Moderna is the first one to have filled their phase three, um, and if if my understanding of it is right, none of the ones that are in phase three are really a long-term solution. Um, but they are kind of a short-term stopgap, I guess you could say, to give to the people who are at high risk for this, you know, older people, people who are coming in contact with it a lot um, to kind of reduce the risk of, of death. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, it, we are kind of looking at things that will that are not perfect right you you might still get sick we're just trying to make sure people don't die
0: yeah it's Um, it's like the flu vaccine it's like you know it it, you you know you you take it and you're going to be less contagious if you do still get sick you know Um, yeah yeah there's benefits being
1: said speaking of bill gates he did come out and say that he thinks we'll still be locked down 10 years from now that's pretty
0: wild what if are you like no one's (laughs) on board for that can you imagine no that? No one. We will one hundred percent enter enter civil war if 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 the government came home. and was like, "We we're looking at twenty thirty folks."
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, no. Yeah.
0: People, the American spirit is it's too rebellious to to mm-hmm. go along with something like that. This country's founded on rebellion, exactly, and, and freedom. You know, I drove past. This is a little off topic, but there's this hick who lives around here. I don't know the person, but he's just just like the house is like it's he's just a, he's a very hick person but out at the front of his yard it says give me liberty or give me death and i really was like reading that and thinking about it i don't remember who said that do you
1: uh thomas Paine, i believe
0: we're gonna go out down a loop and say thomas pain said give me I, I i trust you um but like that man meant that when he said yeah. that statement and that is what of the American yeah, spirit is
1: when he said it there was actually a uh Patrick Henry sorry it was Patrick henry. <laughs> um,
0: screw thomas Paine.
1: that sucks yeah. uh, <laughs> patrick henry said it and you know I mean when he said it it was like there was an actual fear that you wouldn't have liberty they didn't at the at the time uh and it took us a very long time to get to where the majority of people in America do have liberty but um but yeah, I mean, it's a lot different to say that now when there's not really a super present fear of you losing liberty.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Here, Zach, uh, give me one minute. How, how about you tell everyone? We'll, we'll keep this going. I just really have to go to the bathroom. Sorry. Okay. Um, I'll be back in 30 seconds. But why don't you tell everybody um, where they can they can find all your social stuff and and a little bit your, about your album? I'll be back in 30 seconds.
1: Oh, absolutely cool. Um, so yeah, my. My name's Zach. I guess we got all of the normal Facebook stuff. I'm not a business, so it's just personal Facebook stuff. Uh, I do check messages, so I guess if any of you hate what I've said, then then reach out that way. But um, my main thing that I'm on to, to push at you today is my band of The Orchard came out with an album called We'll Be Okay Tomorrow. Uh, originally, it was slated to come out in May, but it did. we pushed it because of the, the virus, and it came out. A week and a half ago now, Um, eleven songs. We've been working on it for a really long time, and it happens to be pretty rather applicable to what's going on today. Um, And we just really want to try to push a message of of positivity and uh, hope. I guess is maybe a better thing than positivity, because because ultimately everything is pretty wonky right now. Uh, But we will be okay tomorrow because there will be a tomorrow, and it will all work out. So. That's the main message of the, the album. We are a, a millennial pop rock band, and you know we formed in college, and playing covers of bands like Third Eye Blind and Fall Out Boy, and, and kind of fun party music like that, and have have spiraled from there, into further insanity. Uh, but yeah, so it's on all of all streaming services, uh, Spotify, Apple Music itunes um i actually do think we're on napster so you know use napster if that's your vibe um but yeah on on all streaming services we have a website it's of the orchard.com and we have some merch up there and we have a way to sign up for an email list down at the bottom of that so check those things out we have some more merch that's going to be coming out over the next month or two Um, and then i guess this is maybe official announcement although not planned but official announcement on the trevor olsen show Woo! Um, but here on november 18th we've collaborated with a brewery down in san antonio texas and we'll be having a of the orchard branded beer come out so oh sweet uh, man if you happen to be in the in the san antonio area it won't be distributed out of that area but if you happen to be in that area then then pick up it's uh brewed by high wheel brewing and I think it's going to be called we'll be okay tomorrow and we'll come with a copy of the album. So there you have it.
0: That's cool, man. That's a sweet little, little, little deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's killer. Hey, I wanted to ask you about, have you seen the social dilemma?
1: I've not seen it yet. Um, I'm familiar with the concept of it and I've heard a few lectures that that guy has given and haven't seen the actual movie before.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. It's really good. I, I would highly recommend it. Um, do you have any thoughts on silencing and censorship regarding big tech and and social media for example a lot of conservatives being silenced on twitter um and it's obviously it's not well it seems to be at the moment typically right right leaning conservatives that are being silenced that seems to be the narrative at the moment but um do you have any thoughts on that
1: yeah it um i'm pretty against censorship and as a whole i think that Censorship can really open the door to um, abuse and to corruption. And I think also it demonstrates a real kind of fundamental lack of faith in the people that are reading the censored material of not being able to look at something and be like, that doesn't make any sense. That's probably not real. Um, so I'm really against censorship for those reasons. Uh, That being said, I think that the issue we're having right now with big tech is that they're trying to have it both ways and that the the original law effectively to kind of distill it down, I guess, is that you either can be a media outlet that edits itself, in which case you are held accountable for whatever you put out there, Um, or you can be a media outlet that doesn't edit or I guess I should say an example of that might be like a newspaper Wall Street Journal or uh, Fox News or something like that right a, a media outlet as traditionally thought of or you can be a media outlet that has no manner of editing your censorship um reddit would fall into this category um in which case you can't be held accountable for what people post on your service uh, right now facebook twitter instagram yada yada fall under that latter category where they they can't be held accountable for what people post on there and the i think the issue that arises is that they're trying to they're starting to and trying to enforce censorship and editing on their platforms without also taking the responsibility of what people post on the platform and i from a fundamental perspective i think it's like trying to have your cake and eat it too and i don't think that's a good idea uh but, but then i guess the the other question arises with it is that the people running big tech are predominantly upper class middle aged white guys uh and is that really the people that we want controlling what is censored mm um, and I think that people that are for censorship should, or like censoring on those platforms, should really make sure that that is, if there's going to be censorship, is that really who we want
0: controlling what gets censored or not? And it's like who who who's good for that job? Who 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 gets to decide?
1: Well, personally, I believe no one. Um, yeah, exactly. I guess exactly.
0: The,
1: the reason I pointed out is I think there's a cognitive dissonance of the people who are for the censorship are generally also the people who are railing on upper class white males having too much power, but yet they're arguing to give them power to censor people, which is just giving upper class white males more power. So I Mm -hmm. think it's something that really should be considered and people should look at in their belief system because it really really seems contrary to what a lot of the the left-leaning people are arguing for to give this group of people more control and more power
0: now when you say upper what you know upper middle class white people do you mean the people like who are doing the censoring
1: Uh, i mean the people who are running the companies
0: okay Um, okay
1: yeah we're looking at like the the tim cook's the mark zuckerberg's the jack dorsey's um which so i'm talking about them and i'm talking about I I guess I'm assuming that they themselves are not doing the censorship censoring because they probably have other things to occupy their time, but ultimately the company is run by them. So their ideology is kind of what gets filtered down. Right.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think it's a, I think I, I, I could, yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more as far as I just think the idea of censorship is it it's clearly taking away the first amendment of freedom of speech. It's like, I don't agree with you and I'm taking away, I'm not allowing you to say it. And yeah, even if what that person is saying is extreme, like like you just stated, it's like we have to be able to trust that people can think for themselves and go, you know what, that's a bit insane. You know what, maybe I won't join ISIS, you know, maybe not, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but, but it's like, yeah, who determines what hate speech is? Cause that's a big conversation. It's like, well, it's hate speech it's like, well, Hates. What's hate speech? Like that's such a. What is that? Like how can we define hate mm-hmm. speech? Um, I just think that's it's it snowballs from from social media, and we see it, it. You know, people getting fired from actual jobs, corporate positions, or or even even like this. You know, not a, it's kind of an example. Like even just like Kevin Hart's um, when he got in trouble, like and he he lost his gig at the Oscars because he said some homophobic joke that he said ten years ago. And it's like people change and it's like, I don't know. I just, I I, I agree with you. I, I just think the idea of silencing anyone, even if what they're saying is completely extreme and, and radical, it's like, we have to be able to think for ourselves. And I guess that's all I'll say on that. But I've talked about this before on the podcast. I just think it's a, to in, in, infringe upon freedom of speech is such a fucking bad idea.
1: It's a real... Uh... Similar to what we were talking about with Spotify earlier, right? It's once you allow those companies to begin censoring without also having to take responsibility for what's on their platform, the cat's out of the bag. Yes, there's no, there's no going back after that. Um, and it, like you said, is probably a reasonable person can look at that and see ways that it will snowball into more control over people's lives and everything and ultimately like you could still verbally say whatever you want and people are allowed to take action against you based on what you say because that is what freedom of speech is right is people your ability to say something whatever you want and people's ability to react to that without the government stepping in and saying you're going to prison because you're not allowed to say that trump sucks yeah (laughs) um yeah so so I mean that fundamental right will stay untouched, but I do think that there is something that we have to look at of we're becoming an increasingly digital people, um, and if at this early stage we already introduce censorship into the digital environment, that that is setting a, a dangerous precedent that yeah. we can hope wouldn't be followed through on, but very easily could
0: absolutely i mean well, the digital realm the technological realm is absolutely the future i mean there's no there's no doubt about it i mean we're on we're on we're i feel like you and i are growing up in a time of of compound interest regarding like technology it just seems to have just like like it's just yeah everything is improving so fast i mean with especially with ai now getting better and better um are you worried at all about AI or anything like that? I, I really don't know anything about the AI world, but I know that like men like Elon Musk are genuinely concerned about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, um, I don't know enough to know how incredibly concerned I should be. It's, um, I try to stay that way because I feel like I'll fall down the rabbit hole of being really concerned and I got enough stuff to stress
0: about in life.
1: Um, uh, But but yeah, I mean, I I've seen iRobot. I know how this can <laughs> spiral out of control. We yeah.
0: um, and we're not all Will Smith, so we're gonna we're we're yeah, fucked.
1: Exactly. <laughs> that's rude. Um, the really, the, I guess, the only thing that really gets me like freaked out and jazzed up in that realm is the simulation theory stuff. But um, but not to go not to go too far down conspiracy Ooh, no, theory, let's, rabbit holes. Let's. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess AI is. I don't know. I don't know enough to be worried. Um, The simulation theory gets me jazzed up, though, because I I forget who it was, but I was listening to someone talk about it, and the way they explained it was that humanity is getting rapidly more progressed as far as technology. It makes sense that we would want to model the way history has gone to seed, like if we changed one variable, what would occur, Uh, and it makes sense that at some point we'll have a computer strong enough to do that. And when we do we'll be able to just click a button and it'll just happen so all of history will be simulated up to that point point. Uh, and that'll happen over and over and over again right let's say a million times um, because you can just by the click of a button so that my understanding the thing that freaks me out is that that gives us a one in one million chance that we're not currently living in the middle of one of those simulations Mm. and also to say that we're not living in one of those simulations means that we're at like the first run through of all of this. It's the first attempt, which seems a little bold.
0: You think this so, could all be I a simulation? Know. It, you know, sometimes oh. I, I experience moments in life where I life doesn't even feel real to me. Like I'm, I look around and I'm, I'm like, this is fucking bananas. I was like, there's a fireball, perfect distance. Like everything about life, everything for there to be life is perfect. And I just look around and and I'm like, this is just, and and we're worried about like making money and who becomes, you know, president. And it's like, we're an infinite, we're in, we're in infinity. It's, it's, and I look around and I, I I honestly feel like sometimes life feels like to use the, to use the word simulation, but it's, it's just seems, it almost doesn't even feel real sometimes to me, like life feels like a video game or something like that it's very it's very weird but um yeah. i don't you know i don't think that life i don't think we're in a simulation i don't um
1: yeah I mean, the argument against that kind of like saved me from going down the the spiral of chaos um is that if you're in a simulation in theory you would think for it to be a proper simulation you would want to make sure that no one figured out that it was a simulation Within the simulation and people the fact that there are people arguing that it is a simulation gives me hope that maybe it's not.
0: But maybe we're just becoming more cognizant of the fact that there is a potential that it is a simulation and we're like, oh, our, do we're, like we're like we're like mm-hmm. we're like artificial intelligence ourselves and we're continuous continuously evolving and becoming smarter and we're starting to become oh, a bit more sentient of the idea that maybe this is a simulation.
1: We're all part of the matrix, dude. <laughs>
0: Well, this is actually a really great a great little transition uh for 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 uh, one more topic that i wanted to talk with you now am is it, am i correct in saying that are you a christian or were you you were raised in a christian family right
1: yes yeah um raised in a christian community i think would be a better way to put it my uh my parents were would definitely identify as christian but never really went to church um I kind of did all the way growing up, the high school and middle school I went to was a private school that was um, a classical Christian education. So um, got a lot of Christian impact there. Um, have since, I um currently I play, I play at a few churches, guitar at a few churches and whatnot. So I, I'm at church two or three times a month, um, would probably identify as a Christian. Yeah, I think it's probably the best way to put it.
0: Okay, so moving on from there, um, do you? I wanted to talk to you about the idea of theistic evolution, and for me, this is this is. If I'm being completely honest with you, I don't know where I stand on this because I I, I was raised in a family where you look at the Bible in a, in a literal manner, and then obviously oh, I, as you as you get a bit older, you start to. You th- Think a little a bit of, you know you you start to question things and you start to look at things um and you know you become more of an individual and so i i do believe in god and i i do i do believe that as i stated earlier everything is so perfect for life that it, it seems to be it seems to be created clear i mean that's just I, it, it's it seems so obvious when you kind of just think about it in that regard it's like yeah here we are obviously um and i have a hard time with the idea of 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 atheistic evolution and how nothing created everything because what is nothing you know cuz cuz right in front of me here is is time space matter particles a- atoms all this stuff and they suggest you know scientists suggest that nothing created everything and i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about so moving forward a lot of people a lot of christians um, view the Bible in in a very literal manner. And uh, my family would as well. And so that's, that's the environment that I've grown up in. But then I start listening to all these guys talking about evolution. And I, and I hear a lot about that and, you know, their arguments sound, sound very, very convincing. And, um, and it, it, it makes sense in my eyes, but I still do believe that So I guess what I'm getting at, if I can fucking spit this out is that I'm intrigued by the idea of theistic evolution, evolution being God's way of bringing about reality itself. And, uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. And like I said, I don't necessarily know where I stand if, if, if I believe in that or or what I believe in, which is kind of a problem because it's a, it's like my fundamental worldview. I don't necessarily know what I believe. And, uh now you you believe in evolution correct yes yeah yeah. okay so um do you look at the bible in a literary sense or do you believe that some of it is a bit more metaphorical or um
1: um generally speaking i tend to lean away from a literal interpretation of the bible um i the, the immediate thing that popped into my mind when you started asking about theistic evolution is there's a book called The Language of God that a guy named Francis Collins wrote um, that is crazy dense and kind of brutal to try to get through, but he makes a really succinct – not succinct. He makes a very lengthy, drawn-out argument, but a very good argument and a very well-informed argument about why evolution c- can and probably should coexist with God um that for anyone that's interested in this topic i would really really recommend reading
0: what was that called? um
1: it was called the language of god by okay. a guy named francis collins and and yeah set aside a month and a half it's a it's a hmm. really scholarly really dense book and difficult to wade through but um but if you're interested in the topic well worth a read um because he effectively makes the argument that it is more likely that evolution was dictated by god than the other way around um the as far as an interpretation of the bible i tend to think that most of the bible was not intended to take be taken literally outside of the gospels and the things that are clearly historical um so for instance like we know that there actually was a king solomon we know from um from things that have been found that there was a man named jesus who was crucified when he was 35 um and there are writings of other people during that time that three days after he died the tomb was empty um so things like that i think definitely can be taken literally um uh, but I do think that a lot of the a lot of the stories in the Bible are kind of these archetypical stories that are intended to teach something, um, and maybe you know have some some literal truth in them. But to say like I, I guess the common example, but I'll I'll fall into the trap of using it is that God created the world in seven days, um, and that's maybe not entirely true um you know maybe we should be looking at that more of an archetype of we're saying seven days because the order that things were created in was important um as opposed to the fact that it only took one day one time around the sun um not time around the sun because that's a year right one <laughs> rotation of the one yes. rotation of the planet yeah um to occur and Jordan Peterson has a really, really fantastic um, lecture series that is not overly political, because I know he can get pretty political and pretty like right wing and everything, but he has a really fantastic lecture series that's not very political um, on the biblical stories and kind of how they how we can take some of these archetypical ideas out of them and look at them and be like, ah, maybe like a flood probably really did happen, but more importantly, what is that flood representing and kind of what can we take from
0: it? Mm. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is, I'm in awe of, of Jordan Peterson. I'm in awe of his ability to articulate his thoughts I've been awe of, of, of the fact of, of what he's accomplished and, and the type of person that he's become and how prominent and famous he is. He's like the most famous intellectual on the planet. And, um, and I have, I've listened to some of his lecture series on the Bible. I've listened to a lot of his lecture series, um, not on the Bible. Cause he has so many, he has so many lectures out. I've listened to a lot of his, his um, college courses and classes and stuff like that online. Yeah. I would recommend it to like, any person who's trying to figure out life or have a little bit of a better understanding of it. It's like, go watch John Peterson because the man's been thinking about it for the last 50 years straight.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Solid. And I mean, I guess the thing, and kind of piggybacking off of that, um, I wanted to make sure and make sure and say while we're here is that there's a lot of scarecrowing in, um, the the world right now where someone will lean right so they they seek out people like jordan peterson who's a really smart well-informed voice on the right but they don't do the same for the left or vice versa um i think it's really important to seek out people like jordan peterson who provide a really smart argument and well thought out argument for what they believe Um, you know sam harris is a really good person on the other side of the spectrum to get like a really smart, well thought out argument for atheism or for liberal beliefs or whatever. And I think it's really important to kind of seek those out. So you're, you're comparing apples to apples. You're comparing the strong to the strong as opposed to the strong to the weak. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 Sam Harris is definitely, I actually haven't listened to any of his stuff, but I I of course know of him. He's probably the most famous atheist on the planet, I would say, but he's a serious intellect as well. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think it's just important for all of us to just listen to really smart people who know what, like people who have, 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 have had more life experience. I mean, we can all learn stuff from guys like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. And I mean, there's a reason that so many people are gravitating towards them because they, they are, so to speak, you know, they're, they're ahead of you and me in life and and, in experiences and being able to articulate all the different conclusions that they've come to. And so yeah, I think anyone could could get so much out of those guys. That's why I that's why they're so successful. Like their shows are so successful and so popular.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um well listen, dude, those are the topics that I wanted to cover with you. Um I think you had a lot I, I knew that you would have a lot of great talking points on, on all those things. And uh I think you did a, a fantastic job discussing all of them with 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 me that was that was a good job <laughs>
1: sweet buddy no i really appreciate you having me
0: uh yeah yeah tell everybody one more time of, uh where they can find you and where they can find your band and any other information that you you need the the listeners to hear
1: yeah for sure Um i think the the first thing before i go into like my band stuff um just kind of thinking back on what we've said and wanting to like circle back and make sure that um, the message I guess that I wanted to get across is accurate to how I feel I just want to kind of make sure because I feel like I talked a lot about how I haven't loved the response to what happened with George Floyd and just want to kind of I think we're all on the same page here don't think anyone's thinking otherwise but just to make sure I um, kind of want to circle back and And reinforce that it really truly was a tragedy and and I think we have a real opportunity as a country right now to assess how we value individuals and how we value interactions um, and change that to to form a little bit better of a society so um, I think the the push there would be to use use that tragedy as a method to make things better instead of staying in this place of everything screwed so it's all chaos uh right. so that's the first thing i just want to make sure and and circle back and cover that and then the other thing um is over the last month or two there's a really really fantastic organization called all sides and um, i believe the website is allsides.org but it might be a.com uh but they do a really fantastic job of you know they'll give you three or four headlines for the day and then they'll show you linked to an article from the right and how they're covering it from the left and how they're covering it from the middle and how they're covering it. Um and as the insanity that is I would say safely definitely going to take place over the next week or two with all of the election stuff comes out, I would really encourage people to find a resource like that so that you can see what people that believe opposite you are seeing. Um that's a good so skill that have, too- yeah,
0: that's a good skill to have being able to that's like one of the most valuable skills to have It's like the ability to see other people's points and perspectives, and then if you disagree with them, disagree with them well
1: yeah, yeah, it's critical really um so yeah all dot org I hope it's a dot org it might be a dot com dot net um, uh, dot net uh dot biz
0: CEO. yeah and, yeah right yeah,
1: there you oh, um but yeah so so I guess those are the two parting thoughts that I wanted to kind of leave people with uh and then just uh to, to re-push i guess for for social media stuff i'm i'm here i guess in capacity of the band these are not i do not reflect the beliefs of the band or any of its affiliates well dude, um, just g-
0: give your personal uh give your but, personal too, give uh, all your personal and your band stuff
1: yeah yeah. so personal stuff is all zach ward um i i said this earlier but i'm not a business so it's all just like personal facebook and instagram stuff but if you have any comments or whatnot um any hate mail for what uh what we've said or talked about then feel free to send me a message i'll just, I'll just block you <laughs> um, the, yeah. but then also as the as the band the band is called of the orchard and we're a millennial pop rock group and just had an album come out called we'll be okay tomorrow and available wherever you normally like to listen to music and we have a website of the com. there's a little sign up for an email list there
0: yeah All right, man. Well, I appreciate you and I appreciate you uh, coming on the air. I had a great time and uh, yeah, man, I wish you well and uh, I love you, brother. Thank you.
1: You you as well. Wonderful to catch up with you, buddy.
0: Absolutely, man. Let's do it again. Yeah. All right, man. Zach Ward, everybody.